Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today I'm speaking with Jake Mackey. Jake is a professor at Occidental College. He also edits the journal for Free Black Thought and he's working on their compendium. And recently he's been invited to a writer's group at Heterodox Academy to help academics write more accessible, I guess, articles and papers so the general public can, um, can read them. And he's also uh, now a member of the Academic Freedom Alliance, which I, th I think that's one of the things we'd like to talk about is what's going on in the academy. You know, can it be saved? Am I being too pessimistic? Um, and we'll go through that. Hey, Jake, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Um, yeah, I think I'm just going to dive right into uh, like the academy. So, yeah, sure. Here, here's my take on it, and like you know, obviously, like I'm an outsider. Uh, I got my. I got my bachelor's in 95 in political science. Um, you know, I did some master's work, but I never, you know, proceeded beyond that. Then I got into IT and I just stuck with IT and that was it. Um, so I started studying it and looking at it um, in 2014. So people who listen to this know that, you know, like it was just, I was criticizing Islam and I got called a white supremacist and I'm like, where the hell is this coming from? And it just, you know, it just made no sense to me. Um, and so that's when I started looking into it and I started seeing what was going on in the academy. And <clears throat> what I saw as a blasé attitude towards it, it was, you know, the more I looked into it, the more I saw it, it was like, okay, when the first political correctness came around, it's like, oh, well, it's died down. It's no big deal. See, it went away. It was just a fad. But it went underground. It stayed in the academy. It, you know, it grew and it, got into a lot more uh fields and now it's affecting stem mm -hmm. so i see this i saw the same kind of thing happening so there's a uh i think her name was melissa click she was a professor of media and journalism at uh mizzou mm -hmm. so she got famous because there was a protest at mizzou a student reporter from the school came to cover the protest she got upset and then she's on video calling for muscle to have the student removed. Hmm. Now, in my mind, that should have rung alarm bells. Like, okay, what's going on in the school of journalism or the school of media at Mizzou? Like, you know, how is a professor who's teaching there in this field trying to trample the rights of a student reporter? She got fired and everyone's like, oh, see, it's all fixed. And I just kept seeing things like that over and over again. And, um, you know, fast forward to 2020 when the vaccine came out and the CDC put out that, you know, recommendation, it was like, it hadn't gone through, but like, you know, it should go, you know, it should vaccinate by race. You know, and one of their justifications was that, yeah, the elderly are mostly white and they've already lived long privileged lives. So it doesn't matter. It should be done by race. And then there was a lot of backlash. They, they withdrew that thing right away. And everyone was like, oh, see, it's fixed. And, Two years later, three years later, you've got med schools requiring, you know, diversity oaths before the Hippocratic oath. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at this and then I'm sorry, I'm just going to ramble a little bit longer. And then I also like one of my, one of my big things since I came back was there's going to be overcorrections. You're going to have the pendulum's going to swing mm -hmm. too far the other way. It's not going to stay in the middle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the academy, and then that feeds into all everything else 
because I mean, the people who graduate are the ones who are going to go and work for the ACLU and go and work in government and go come back into the academy. Like, so if, if that well is sour, you know, you're, you're not going to have a proper defense. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm seeing right now. Like the ACLU is worthless. That like Canada is so much further gone than the United States mm-hmm. when it comes to this stuff. Um, you know, we have social justice tribunals that have replaced human rights tribunals. So, um, like, but so there's things like that, and I'm just like, we have gotten to the point. I keep bringing up uh, Man for All Seasons, and you know, it was like that scene with Roper, and Roper's like talking about like I'd cut down all the laws in England to catch the devil, and Thomas More's like, well, what are you going to do when the devil turns around? That's it. So there are overcorrections happening. I go in Texas; they've gone too far. Certain things in Florida are going too far. That new bill now, um, you know, when they're talking about not letting people t- discuss theory. Mm-hmm. Um, that could have a huge effect on the sciences. You know, that mm-hmm. could have a huge effect on like string theory. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you can't prove string theory. It's all mat- mathematical proofs that it's not mm-hmm. like you, there's, mm-hmm. there's nothing there. Um, so, but when you spent 20 years now in the academy, or even I, I'd say since like the early nineties, pushing these ideologies that, you know, chip away at civil rights and mm-hmm. these people have come back in and taken over administrations. You know, now you've got, like, there. Was, I spoke to a guy in Montreal. He um, is a professor at McGill of chemistry. He was looking for, uh, he was doing, a, he applied for a research grant. He was going to hire some PhDs. And because he was hiring by merit and skill, not by diversity, he his grant was refused. And Pat's a South Asian. Hmm. You know, so, and they're like, they're saying that he was being too racist and, you know, he's upholding white supremacy, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, okay, it's a chemistry research paper you want people who know chemistry it shouldn't matter that's what he should be looking for it, it and so you like that that the, there's my thing in the academy it's like you these whatever progressive woke whatever you want to call them these administrators and these departments have chipped away at what was our sense making and what was you know giving us the people that would go off and do like work you know, for civil rights and work for like civil liberties and our defense mechanism, like they've so corrupted our defense mechanism, we have nowhere to turn. And, you know, and in some cases I'm like, okay, you know what? With some of the stuff Florida is doing, I agree with some of it. Some things that there are some overreach, like I agree with them taking away the bureaucratic DEI stuff, mm-hmm. but I don't want that to go away to academic freedom. But at the same point, if you've got academic freedom, you have a responsibility. And I, the universities have just, they've not been responsible. They've let all kinds of insanity go on. Mm-hmm. And at this point or other, someone's got to be held accountable. Something's, you know, something's got to give because it can't keep going like this. So like I said, maybe I'm being way too pessimistic. Maybe I'm just like, you know, like, you know, like completely off the ball. And like, like I said, I'm an outsider looking in. So. Yeah, man, that's uh what a great, and also just a depressing introduction <laughs> to these <laughs> topics. Um, you know, depending on the mood I'm in, um, I'm sort of like you, I can be sort of blackpilled. I think that's the word where you yeah. just have the sense that it's hopeless and that it, we're done. And that so there are times when I look at the university system in America, in the U.S., and I just think, you know, this thing is is toast. I mean, it's just it's self-destructing, you know, and there's there's there there's nothing internal 
to these organizations that is going to save them. They can't self-correct um, for reasons we could discuss, but of which you are well aware um, already. You don't need me to tell you. And then when you go look outside for correction, you end up with, as you said, overcorrection, right? Like you end up with people like DeSantis and you end up with uh, the things, some of the things that have been proposed in Texas, uh, like uh, one proposal in Texas was for all future hires at state schools to just not have tenure. Like it's just not even an option. There is no tenure track. Well, how are you going to get, I mean, the university of Texas at Austin last it's been, my information's out of date. 20 years out of date. But when I was there as an undergraduate at 25 years ago, they had more Nobel laureates than anywhere else, any other institution. How are you going to attract people like that if you don't have tenure, right? Like, give me a break. It's just ludicrous. So you're just destroying, potentially destroying one of the world's greatest uh, research institutions. Anyway, yeah, so there, there doesn't seem to be any way to correct from the inside. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any way to correct from the outside without destroying the institution. So that leaves me kind of um, uh, despondent and thinking that it's all hopeless. However, I will say, I mean, that's just some one of my moods. I don't think it's, it's not useful for me to dwell there. Uh, I think we need to be optimistic, even just as a matter of sort of uh, strategy or something, because if we're not, if we're just, black pilled and and catastrophizing and feeling <coughs> hopeless about it we're, we're it's highly unlikely we're going to do anything to fix it you know so i just i think just as a matter of if we're going to if we if we fit value these institutions and if we want to fix them we have to adopt an attitude of optimism and i do see reasons to be optimistic um i do see being within institutions i see a great deal of faculty at this point, it's faculty resistance. I almost don't want to say resistance, but faculty are actually not as sort of insane and insanely woke as you might think. Um, I actually have more faith in faculty. I'm just speaking generally, just across all institutions. Of course, there's some institutions where everyone's completely nuts, but uh, I just think in general across institutions, faculty are actually more sane Um Yes, they're super liberal, but whatever. They're saying they value academic freedom, they, you know, et cetera. They value free speech. Um, that they, in other words, they've been socialized into the sort of value system of what we think of now as the older academy, the academy from back in the day. Really, I think most people, professors in the academy, have been socialized into that and believe in it. And I see the evidence every day at my own institution and other places. So what I'm getting at with this is right now, I think you have a sort of a silent majority, if you will, of faculty who don't are not down with destroying academic freedom. And I think they have yet to sort of uh, st stiffen their spines and stand up and resist this stuff. But I think it's I think it may be coming. And, you know, you see. You see the occasional um, example of it, like Hamlin University in Minnesota, where they fired an art history professor who showed an image, a representation, and a painting of the Prophet Muhammad, a, 14, a beautiful 14th century painting of the Prophet Muhammad. She was fired for that because that was Islamophobic, because some of the Muslim students at that institution, you know, they, they uh, uh, abided by the... Um, the kind of Islam where you're not supposed to look at, see any depiction of the prophet. The university president said, sometimes, you know, there's 
academic freedom and diversity are in conflict and diversity trumps academic freedom. Well, the faculty rose up and voted that they sort of gave a vote of no confidence saying that she should resign. This president should resign. Right. I think things like that give me great hope. Right. Faculty reasserting themselves and showing that they are not all just sort of hopeless, dopey wokesters who don't have any, don't give a damn about academic freedom and don't see the value. So that's, that's a, that's where I want to end up. I want us to take hope, feel hopeful, um, confront this with a sense of optimism and a sense that, you know what, it's not actually as bad as it may look. Um, it, and uh, there's a, a huge group of, you know, people on the ground, grassroots, who are actually, uh, I think, you know, ready to rise up, ready to take retake control of these institutions. And they just have to be activated. Something has to activate them like it did at Hamline. And I, again, I, I see moments of this at my own institution. We can go into that, but that's where I want to um, yeah. leave it with that sense of opt potential optimism, guarded optimism. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I don't think the Academy can be saved or maybe some remnant of it can be saved or so, some other format, but like things like, uh, University of Austin online, like the one that Peter Bogosian is involved in, something like that. Um, mm -hmm. There was another one. I'm trying to remember the name. Um, it was another online academy where they were pushing like these enlightenment values and it was classical education. And it was, um, and it was another university. I know Colin Wright did a couple of things with them. I can't remember what the, what they were called. Um, yeah. Who was that? Uh, oh gosh. What's the name of the place? There's also a place in, I think in South Carolina, maybe. Yeah, like I'm trying to remember, like I, I can't remember the name, but, but so there's little things like that. And I think, you know, maybe small liberal arts colleges could be the push that puts some of this stuff done. But at the same point, one of the things that I think needs to get done is, yeah, fine, you're going to talk about academic freedom with the president or whatever, but you have to then like the faculty has to come to the administration and say, you know what, we don't care if you have a chair in alchemy. But that chair in alchemy cannot, you know, dictate how chemistry is done. In yeah. the same way, like all these DEI initiatives, whatever. I mean, you know, we, I don't want to get into a whole argument about CRT or whatever. I think CRT is absolutely worthless. Um, you know, I think some of the stuff that Derek Bell did under like the critical legal scholarship, he brought up some good points. But I think CRT on it, it's like, and especially what it's devolved to now. Mm -hmm. So these are completely unfounded claims. You know. If the university wants to give up PhDs in that garbage and like, you know, people like Kendi, I don't think Kendi deserves a PhD. I think that that devalues your PhD by him mm -hmm. having one. Um, mm -hmm. But whatever, let the university do that. But the university, you know, the faculty has to say, you cannot use this stuff to set policy for the university because this stuff's not proven. There is no, you know, you, like, sorry, I, I really wish that when Princeton had put out that letter, the president of Princeton had put out that letter about how they were racist and the Trump admin said, okay, we're going to investigate you. I wish great. they had. I wish they had investigated them because why are you saying you're a racist and you're a white supremacist? What are you basing this on? Let's yeah. see it. Yeah. And that would have exposed all, all this nonsense. I mean, you know, and I, I, we need something like that. And I wish the faculty, you know, Okay, I work in IT, so I work with a lot of geeks, um, you know, and like I always said that it's just because the faculty's too bookish. Their academics are too bookish. They don't want to have the fight. They would just rather just sit and do their work, which, mm -hmm. okay, fine. You know, I respect a physicist sitting there and doing their work or anyone, right, you know, but 
you got to look out and see what's in, what is coming your way. And I don't think anyone was watching it until it came and it actually affected them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the, the, the DEI impositions are coming from administ administrators, right? So sure. Yeah. Kendi has a department and he has a PhD and he's teaching and giving, you know, whatever people can, I don't know what it is, major or get a, a you know, MA PhD in his uh, field, whatever. But yeah, it's the administrators who, you know, have, have sort of whatever studied their Kendi and then are put in these position, these bureaucratic positions of power. And then they have all sorts of ways that they insinuate themselves into hiring and they even into curriculum. I mean, at my school, they're, they're just, they're creeping up on our curricular decisions, you know? Um, so that's where I think really, I don't think it's so much that Kendi has a department. It's more that the, the there's every institution now has this bureaucracy, this DEI bureaucracy with en enormous powers and, uh, um, and, you know, yeah. And it's, it's sort of, it's this, it's this parallel force. There's faculty governance on the one hand, the faculty are supposed to make the decisions, faculty set the curricula, faculty do the hiring, these kinds of things. But, uh, on the other hand, you have this other sort of bureaucratic government that has become more, that's becoming more powerful than the faculty, but the faculty still do typically have the power, should they so choose, to band together and to engage in collective action against that stuff. And, and again, I see examples of it at my school and you see it uh, elsewhere and you just have to get them pissed off enough. Just like you said, you understand why a physicist would just want to say, leave me alone. I just need to do my work. What do you, what does it take to activate that person? Right. What does it take to make them realize that this threat to one person is a threat to all, right? What does it make? Uh, and so it's, it's when you finally sort of shake them out of their <laughs> stupor and say, come on, can't you see what's happening? And then they will say, whoa, you're right. Let's band together. Let's do something. Yeah, that's the, that's the challenge. It's a collective action ch challenge. I see it at my institution. I, there's a lot of people who are that I'm in contact with daily at my institution who are exactly like mind to me. We're very concerned about the incursions that the DEI bureaucracy is making. Um, I will say our DEI bureaucracy is explicitly against academic freedom. I mean, we, I have one of the top bureaucrats, you know, he was recorded at a public event at our school, um, you know, openly saying that he wanted to resist certain forms of, uh, of like critical uh, thinking about things like CRT on our campus. He explicitly said, how do we resist having this come to campus? You know, another, and by this, he meant, any idea that there that someone ought to, you know, think critically about CRT, DEI, this kind of thing. So anyway, the point is, um, you know, it's there's all these people who recognize this problem. They recognize it's a threat to academic freedom, but they they haven't just yet been activated to do anything about it. And as far as I know, to be frank, like I'm the only person that I at my school, Occidental College, who's doing things like this, like going on a podcast and talking about it, you know. Um, everyone else is like, look, you know, I'm going to protect my little department, my little, uh, my, my colleagues, I'm going to protect myself, but I'm not ready to go out in public. I'm not ready to, 
Uh, I'm not even ready to speak publicly about it in a faculty meeting yet. I just want to sit tight and hope it passes me by and that I can keep all my people uh, safe and my department safe, but that's not, it's not going to work. That's not going to work. No. We're going to have to. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. okay. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's coming from the faculty. Yes. It's the administration and it's, but it's, okay, I mean, I, there's, there's plenty of faculty who are, oh like, yeah, yeah. Who are woke and whatever I get that. But and there's like a little handful who really drive it actually like what mm -hmm. I see at my school and there's this handful who just drive all the uh, all the lunacy yeah. yeah go ahead no but it'd be like okay, like what I was saying Kendi having a PhD it's just yeah. these things I mean the administration and the faculty or whatever at some point there's got to be some kind of checks or balances where you know yes I realize that a chemistry professor is not going to be able to sit in on an art history PhD and figure out is this person you know giving me the right information mm -hmm. but there's got to be an audit of what's being considered for phds because like when i read some of the near peer like that account on twitter near peer review uh near peer review like they mm -hmm. they just publish these like gender theory papers and you know race papers and whatever and you just read these things and like people are getting their phds and their masters and they're getting higher level degrees from this nonsense and yeah. and so th that's where i think the faculty needs to be more active it's like okay yeah because yeah. okay you're teaching at a university or maybe you didn't go there or whatever but that reflect if that university is putting out degrees in that kind of nonsense it reflects on you and it, yeah. you know or your alma mater is giving out degrees and stuff like this and it's just like I mean, it's that, that, that's where I'm like, you know, you're hurting yourselves and that attitude that, and I've, I've, you know, I've spoken to a couple other academics and like, and professors and stuff. And they said, you know, that same attitude, but you know, if you ask these guys about standing up to fascism, they, you know, they, they'd give you that quote about first they came for the Jews and I didn't speak yeah. out cause I wasn't I mean, like, but you're doing yeah. the same thing here. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. No, <laughs> you know. totally. Yeah, you know, and it, it is complicated, though, because so typically, you know, I, I suppose, you know, every institution is different and whether it's public, private, whatever. But uh, so how do you end up with all these grievance studies departments, right? Um, uh, some of which are just total sort of lunacy, right? What was the uh, I think that that Twitter account that you mentioned, wasn't that the account that exposed, you know, let, let every let the world know about this guy who had written a paper where it, his paper was that he had all he was doing is reporting on himself masturbating was it to like child porn or something i mean it was oh, unbelievable I, yeah i think you I know what I'm talking yeah. about yeah, yeah, unbelievable yeah. unbelievable like this whole paper it was just him recounting his experiences masturbating to some kind of disgusting porn i can't remember whether it was i guess child porn would be too illegal but it was some kind of really fringy, weird. Uh, uh, anyways, yeah, how the hell do you get to that place? Well, part of how it happens is, I think, precisely because, how, how did he have a department in which to write that paper? How did he have a um, journal in which to publish that paper? How was there any, an institutional structure that would reward him for that, right? Okay, here's how I think it happens. Uh, so, Faculty have an immense respect for one another's fields of expertise. I, as a, I'm a classicist. I deal with ancient mm -hmm. Greeks and Romans and the languages and the literature and the philosophy, the religion, the history, you name it. And I, uh, 
insofar as I respect my own disciplinary expertise, I also accord that same respect to my colleagues in other fields. And I say, oh, you're a psychologist. You're the one who knows about psychology. I am not going to, uh, you know, uh, dare tell you how to run your your show. And I'm not going to tell you what's right and wrong in your field. That's your field. And I leave you alone. You leave me alone. We respect each other. We respect each other's expertise. Well, so what happens is then some people get together and propose a new department. And it's a department of, you know, grievance studies or whatever. And sure, the physicists say, well, you know, this stuff seems a little goofy to me. I don't know. But you know what? I respect the expertise of my colleagues. And what am I going to tell them? You can't do that. Like, you know, my expertise is atoms and, you know, string theory and dark matter. I'm going to tell them how to run their gender studies thing. No. So what you do is you're, you're polite and you're nice and you're respectful of the expertise of your colleagues and you vote for them to be able to, to be allowed to create a department and then voila there's the department right and so you have this attitude of non-intervention and this uh, this good attitude that you know i can't tell you your business you don't tell me my business and i think if we were to if we destroyed that we'd be in trouble right we'd have everyone coming after everyone right um, so that's where I think I think that's where it comes from. I think that's why we end up with the goofy departments. Yeah, right? but but I mean, you're so, getting that now. You're getting uh, med students having to take DEI yeah, yeah. oaths. Okay, you're getting physics departments telling, being told that they need to hire more brown and black people. You're getting chemistry research not funded because they're not being diverse. So you're you're having that happen already, and so. Yeah. It, it my thing is there's got to be some common sense as well so like let's say someone's got a phd in urban planning and criminology and they said okay well i'm going to set up a, a a course on how to deal with homelessness and the yeah. whole course is about hiring uh um what you would call it uh mercenaries and killing all the homeless now <laughs> at some point or other someone's yeah. gonna have to say well wait a minute that's not that's nonsensical like i don't yeah. care what your phds are in like yeah, you know yeah. that's you're you're going like a bit too far and I, okay i granted i'm, I'm taking it to an extreme here but no, no, Ken, you know Ken, kendy's saying that the only cure it makes for, it clear yeah but kendy's saying like the only cure for past discrimination is present discrimination and the only yeah. cure for present discrimination is future discrimination i mean like that's a watered down version of fanon and the wretched of the earth mm -hmm. you know and that way leads to violence and it leads to division and and so someone's got to say wait a minute that's not right like someone's mm -hmm. got to be the voice of the adult in the room and i don't yeah. care if you're stepping on someone's toes but you know it's yeah. something's got to be done at that point yeah well okay i'll just say a couple things about dei and like you know the putting you know dei litmus tests in medical school and you know all this kind of thing um i mean that's not coming directly out of some other department it's not another academic unit Inter it's not one academic unit interfering with another again it's this bureaucracy right these uh this this it's this separate sort of system within the university that's that's sort of forcing that and then of course they always have people within a given medical school within a given physics department within a given bio department who are gung-ho about it and happy to sort of you know help the dei bureaucracy insinuate itself 
And so, yeah, again, so it's not like your co- it's not colleagues messing with colleagues. It's these administrators messing with departments and how they're run. Yeah. So yeah. it's and a the, different, yeah, but the administrator, kind of, yeah, but like my thing is the administrators are educated yes. in those fields Absolutely. and they're coming back yeah. in. So yeah. it's, yes, it's yeah. coming from those fields. That's why I'm saying those fields have to be looked at. It's just, you know, yeah. Uh, it, a lot of it's like education. Education is one of the the wildest, mm-hmm. looniest fields. A lot of the administrators awesome. come out of education, and yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. I mean, so that that's that, that's my thing. But that like that's where I'm, when I was saying it's another department. It's yes, it's the you know it's, it's the, the ideas the, that are being yeah, drawn. From, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's you know it's the bureaucrats and the diversity, you know, the, the administration and the diversity bureaucracy that are coming in and throwing this garbage out. But where yeah. they're being trained. Um, yeah, can oh, I add just a note on that, which is really some of the things that I found the most interesting at my school, and I, I suspect you could find it at other schools, and it it complicates that kind of simple narrative, and it, what it is is that if you were, I'm not going to mention particular departments by name, but if, you, if at my school you found the sort of so-called grievance studies departments, and you went around, because I have actually done this, <laughs> I've talked to the people in those departments, and you went around and you said, do you like what the new DEI bureaucracy is doing? Do you like this initiative that the new DEI, whatever, president, vice president, whatever, is doing? What's amazing is that none of those departments that you think of as the likely suspects actually approve. In fact, from what I can see, it's the those departments, the departments where they read Fanon, it's those departments that are actually the most unfriendly to the DEI people because to because here's why here's my take on it I have well a couple takes one take is that they think the DEI people are doing an incredibly stupid anti-intellectual sort of uh kindergarten version of the kind of stuff they teach you see what I mean like these are professors who've written books and they've spoken all over the world at universities and then you have some ding dong with a ba or whatever bs in education come in and do like the version of what you do but you but light and it's just sort of like it just it makes it sound stupid that's the thing the people in these departments who teach again they're teaching crt they're teaching fanon but they're teaching it in complex ways they're teaching you to think about it be dis- un- made uncomfortable by it but then also see what yeah what its weak points are etc cetera, etc cetera. They're doing it. These are my colleagues. I I know how they're teaching. They're not doing sort of stupid indoctrination sessions. Some are, but not most. So they see the DEI guys as just like, oh my God, this is like sophomore, just bullshit what you guys are doing. So it's, that's a complicated, it's a very complicated relationship. And they're some of the ones who resist some of the DEI stuff the most um, that I, and think that it's actually screwing up their program again i can't say too much because i would be betraying things said in confidence mm. but they're upset that the dei people are coming in with their sort of half-assed ideas teaching them to students through whatever training sessions whatever and in a sense like taking all the nuance and complexity out of the stuff that they think of themselves as teaching more in a much more you know rich nuanced critical manner you see you get what i'm saying yeah yeah so, and so in a sense, the physicists are like, whatever, I don't care. It's not my stuff. It's all stupid. Just keep it away from me. But these other people have like a stake in it. And they're like, these DEI guys are just children at this, you know? So that, yeah. that's, a, okay. that's complicated. Well, I mean, okay, complicated. I mean, that makes me a little bit 
happier like even if i like again i don't care what you're teaching i might disagree with you whatever but as long as you're not forcing that and it's you know if you're not and if they're if they're opposed to this stuff then fine you're opposed to it i'm I'm glad to hear that so kind of switching like kind of going off that actually um yeah. i'd mentioned or you'd, you'd mentioned that you know you were working with the academic freedom alliance and also that you're doing yeah. work with free black thought so yeah um if you want to talk about those two things because i would like to talk about what's being done to push back on this because it's yeah like yeah my take after looking into all of this my take is it's it's a war of attrition until you fix the source and if you don't fix academia if you don't fix the colleges of education k through 12 is screwed if you don't fix academia you know like i i i take the religious uh view of it i say you know it's k through 12 now are woke madrasas and the universities yep. are the seminaries and you yeah. know that's that's the way i look at it i'm like you have to fix that before you can fix the ACLU, before you can fix the CDC, before you can fix you know organizations in Canada, if you're just keep pumping out the people who think this way, it's we're lost. So, like, I'd like to hear about the pushback. I'd like to hear about what's going on because you don't hear much about that at all. Yeah, yeah. So no, I I mean I agree. Like in general, if you zoom out, if you zoom, if you're from the view from whatever. 10,000 feet is, I think it really is, as you say, that the colleges and universities by and large are the seminaries, right? And uh, then they're they're turning the K through 12 schools into madrasas. I mean, just the other day, you know, at my son's school, they came and taught him all about neo pronouns like Z, you know, and uh, taught him about uh, what was the other thing he said that they... Uh, taught him these new words for like niece and nephew that are supposed to be gender neutral. One of them is like nibbling and one of the, one of them is neffling. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, and he just thought it was just weird. He's just like, wow, that's weird. And, and he wanted to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, uh, and the school, you know, what the hell? I, I don't think there's anyone at the, the, that school. I know the administrators at that school. They're not committed to this gender ideology. They're just like, well, I don't know. I mean, that's just what people are teaching these days. And so it just sort of gets in, even though no one actually is committed to it, right? I've talked to the head of my son's school about things like this. He's not committed to this stuff. But the way he sees it is like, well, I don't know. This is what everyone's doing. So what else are you going to do? So, yeah. What do we do about this? Um, it's uh, it's an. Uh, I mean, I, I was trying to sound these notes of optimism and trying to hint at the complexity of it a minute ago. But we do have to do something, right? And what do we do? Well, I don't know. I mean, so I'm not excited about the DeSantis model, to say the least. <laughs> I don't mind him. Uh, I have to say, I don't mind him getting rid of the DEI bureaucracy in the public schools. There, I think it's that's a ingrown kind of bureaucracy that um that is mainly interested in its own self-preservation and and self-perpetuation right it's like a kudzu vine yeah. you know that just it just it just is going to keep growing and keep growing and keep growing i have to say i don't mind him doing that i worry about his threats to academic freedom my uh my current approach is democratic and internal. I'm trying to talk to as many colleagues as I can and get them to join me in pushing back, not having a like staging a revolution or having a war, but just pushing back every single time some new thing is proposed that cuts into academic freedom or 
that introduces some element of ideological indoctrination. And the DEI bureaucracy at my school is going in that direction. They want to do more and more sort of indoctrination. So again, what I'm trying to do is organize people to just at the grassroots level, push back every time they push forward. I kind of think that may be what it takes to, to save these institutions is uh, people just getting organized and collectively acting against this stuff just gently over time. It's going to be slow. It's not going to be sexy. It's not going to be sudden. There's not going to be like a, a, a big moment where everything goes boom. It's just going to be this slow process of saying, no, no, you don't. Sorry, not. Nope. That's your limit right there. I, that to, currently is the best answer I've got. That's the best answer I've got. Um, but it's democratic. It's, it involves collective action. It involves consensus. And it does not involve destroying institutions. You know, there's the Chesterton's fence thing, right? Yeah. Don't destroy something until you know why it was built. I'm just, I fear that if we do things like eliminate tenure, um, eliminate the ability, as you mentioned very early on, to even teach theory, right? We don't know what the ramifications of that will end up being, right? So that's why I think we have to do it in this much less, what's the word, dramatic way, much less, uh, uh, what's not catastrophic, but uh, yeah, subtler kind of way, where we just use the powers we do have as faculty already. <clears throat> Push back. Yeah. So, I mean, the, okay, there's one thing that I'll kind of mention to you, because I've, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of parents, I've spoken to people from like uh, parents defending education, stuff like that. So this is all K through 12. Yeah. Now, if there was work between academics and some of these parents, because wow. what's, what some of them want, are saying is we want to take over, you know, we want to start running for school board. We want to yeah. start running for the administration. And once we get into the administration and the school boards, we want to then go to the colleges of education and say, we are not going to accept teachers who think like this. Yeah. And so, so, I mean, if there's, you know, coordination between academics and these parents, and the parents are coming in from, you know, the school, the K through 12 side of it. You're coming from academics. You're pushing internally. And the parents are putting external pressure on the university saying, we don't want this. So mm -hmm. if no one wants what the university is producing, mm -hmm. you know, maybe just on a, they can talk about, you know, getting rid of capitalism, whatever, blah, 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 all they want. But <laughs> if they're going to lose their, they're going to lose their, you know, their, their, their cash, cash flow, mm -hmm. they're going to change and they're going to give the people the product that they want. So I'm just yeah. wondering, like, if, you know, there needs to be some sort of coordination between those two, like working with parents groups to push that thing of we don't want, you know, our teachers. We don't want teachers who are going to make our kids activists. We want teachers who are going to teach our kids to read and write and do math. You know? Yeah, that's a that is a really uh, that's a that's a I think I like that a lot. I have a few a couple things to say on this this kind of topic. I think another place that you can actually leverage that as not just parents sending their kids off to college or or put it, putting pressure on parents putting pressure on college and saying we don't like the sorts of teachers you're turning out right that's one thing but i actually think students can put a lot of pressure and one of the things that i'm finding at my school uh, is that the students are actually they're quite fed up with the sort of the general atmosphere at the school and they know that there's something sick about it and wrong with it, but they don't have any conceptual resources. They don't have the words to say what it is, you know? 
because they feel like, well, if I say I don't kind I kind of don't like the way the culture is here. Well, then what is it? What am I like a racist? You know what I mean? I, I've had students actually say I had actually, you know, an Asian student push tell me, you know, I really just am not comfortable with this whole microaggressions idea and the way it's pushed. But then when I say that, I feel like I'm kind of being right wing. And so, you know, I assured this student, no, you're not being right wing. There's nothing right wing about thinking microaggressions are bullshit. <laughs> In fact, some of the some of the best, you know, um, cr criticisms of microaggressions have come from the left. So if an idea is bullshit, you know, it's neither right nor left. It's just wrong or bad or it's good or true. Right. So don't feel bad about pushing back. So, OK. I think students can push back in addition to parents and say, look, I don't want this kind of education. You know, I don't want this, this constant atmosphere of uh, talking about the evils of white supremacy and capitalism and, and how oppressed we are as minorities. The, just this semester, I've talked to students, you know, trans, gay, uh, black, Asian, all of whom have been it's so it's not a bunch of white conservative kids that have been coming to me it's students from you know so-called marginalized groups who have been coming to me and saying this stuff the way they're telling us that we're so oppressed the way that, that there's this constant atmosphere of crisis that we're supposed to feel that as an asian student as a trans student as a gay student as a black student i'm like being traumatized and crushed and oppressed i don't like this i'm not comfortable with it it makes it sucks um, so if the students start saying back to the college, you know, no, I, this is not working for us. We want a traditional liberal arts education. Um, that can be a great source of pressure, too. Can I just say one thing mm -hmm. then about um, you mentioned like parents defending education and what can mm -hmm. you can do in K through 12 schools, right? Um, there's a that there's probably a lot of successful stories coming out of that, I would imagine, right? Parents running for school board, and uh, it, yeah, it depends on where you are. Um, yeah. like I, I, I mean, I follow some of it, so I, I can't tell you about all, but like I know in certain parts in Texas, all the you know, quote unquote non woke parents that ran for school board and things like that, they won. Um, yeah. there was some in, like I said, Canada's much, much further along this road. Um, they had some recently in Ontario, and that was kind of 50-50. But, I mean, the smearing of some of the people who were, you know, non-woke or whatever, like, the smear tactics on those people was it was just unbelievable. I mean, we had national newspapers just calling them far-right and white supremacists oh, yeah. and stuff, and it's just like, yeah. no, they don't want, you know, CRT-based curriculum in K-12. through yeah which i don't want that either i mean yeah some of those some of those books like there was that one book um not my idea yeah and that was okay. being taught to kindergartners i mean come on like you know whiteness is, is, is like you're selling your soul for with your contract with whiteness i mean jesus christ yeah it had a, a it's by anastasia higginbotham i think I, I don't know it's just yeah it's, it's, that's right. No, and it's, it, there was a picture of the devil, and the devil is whiteness, and the devil <laughs> is asking you to sign a contract. And if you sign the contract with the devil, which is whiteness, you know, it says things like you will make the lives of people of of people of color miserable. Yeah, it's really toxic. I mean, it's it's a really toxic way to attempt to sort of, in a sense, re-racialize white kids yeah. so 
you know, it's to, to think, uh, I think what they're, I think the idea is this, what they think is that white kids are racialized. They are sort of taught what it means to be white. And what they're taught is that it means you're superior, you're better, you're, you're the best. And I think what they're trying to do is re sort of de-racialize and re-racialize. They're trying to say, kids, white kids, you've been taught that being white is superior. We're here to tell you, no, it's not. It's actually oppressive and it's bad. Uh, and, uh, you know, that in itself is deeply toxic, <laughs> right? Like, oh, you it's, it's awful. You, I mean, okay. Yeah, you don't want to teach white kids that they're superior because they're white. But the, the cure is not to say that you're inherently oppressive. You're inherently... Yeah privilege you know there's a it, it's a it's the the medicine is as bad as the, as the uh the disease yeah. you know well yeah. i mean the actually the apa put out a couple of studies i think it was in 2022 or maybe 2021 but white kids are getting a racial identity faster than like it's growing at a faster rate than any other uh race or population group or whatever i mean among like you know black and hispanic and asian the the racial identity was already there but among white kids it's growing at a faster rate but i mean so meaning like a sort of a real sort of conscious awareness of, of just like by being white, white and like yeah. sort of embracing it in some way yeah but i mean like okay again I, I keep bringing this one thing up which is the dalton academy and yeah. they yeah. you know i mean you saw what happened they took yeah. kids for 45 minutes a week, separated them by race and told them either they were oppressed or oppressor. And these kids, and after like within a couple of months, started looking up what's good about my race, what's bad about the other yeah. races. And they yeah. turned into a bunch of ethno nationalists. Exactly. I mean, I, I, it, it's like my thing with this is this is yep. not a healthy way to raise kids, no. whether you're telling them that they're oppressed or that they're the oppressor. And I'm not saying it's going to affect every single kid, but you know, not every single kid that goes through a madrasa joins ISIS, but you get yeah. enough of them that are they won't go out and kill the charlie abdo cartoonist but they're agreeing with the people who did so yeah that that's that's where you get i mean you know you get the conservative muslim who will de denounce isis but will deny isis has anything to do with islam and that's what you get with the, this and then you will get a larger percentage that are going to join extremist groups be it antifa or the proud boys right it's just yeah you're setting up a smorgasbord for extremists of any stripe to come and like get recruits and i'm like you're that that's my thing with this is i don't have kids i don't have a you know my the only dog i have in this fight is i want my doctors and my engineers and whatever be well trained like you know yeah when I'm, a, when I'm an old fart and i need to go see my doctor i want him to know what he's doing not that he's the same color skin as i am <laughs> right right yeah and, and yeah yeah um yeah okay so much here to uh to dive into i mean so um I 100% agree with everything you uh, just said, but I let me pick up on a couple of things. Uh, there, it's not just that they're sort of trying to re-racialize white kids to see their whiteness as oppressive. It's also that they're trying to really double down on and get black kids and kids who are not white to see their identity, to see the content of their racial identity as oppressed right this is just to amplify something you said and the reason i worry about this is that well my wife is black and you know my kids are therefore you know 
in America, we have, of course, this incoherent sort of race ideology. So my kids are either black or they're mixed, whatever that means, which that implies that there's actually such a thing as pure white and pure black. And somehow they're a mix of the two, whatever. I'm going to let them sort out their own uh, race in that way. But my kids are they're not so susceptible to the white people are oppressors narrative, although who knows what they'll start to think about their dad. What I worry about for them is well-meaning teachers, most of whom, by the way, will be white, telling them that they are oppressed and that they can't get ahead in life and that there are systems in place to hold them back. My kids are brilliant. <laughs> They're in the top percentiles in reading and math. They come from a well-to-do home of two PhDs. They're in a private school. They're going to do great in life. They're not oppressed. They're, no one's holding them back. The only systems in their lives are systems that are propelling them forward. I cannot even imagine how toxic it could be for their minds to learn that because of their, you know, because of their blackness or what, or their mixed identity, that they are, you know, somehow crushed under the boot heel of oppression. Just keep that shit away from my my kids, yeah. right? Um, but let me just say this: uh, just we're we're weaving all these different strands mm -hmm. together. But here's one way in which I took matters in hand with my the school that my kids go to. At the beginning of the school year, I requested a uh, a meeting with the head of the school. I went right to the top. I said, you know, bring whoever else you want to bring, whatever other high, the highest officers. And I sat them down and I walked them through about an hour and a half of slides showing them the kinds of things that are being taught in some schools, right? I showed them slides saying that if you're a black woman, you have no power and no agency in this society and you will always, you know, do badly and, you know. You know, I just walked them through the slide slides, and I talked about them. I had six different points I talked about. Um, uh, some I showed them some Dalton School stuff, um, and uh, they were blown away. And I said, "Listen, what I said was, don't you, don't you dare do this to my kids, because my kids, their mother is African American. I do not want any teacher at this school telling my my little girl that because she's a black woman, she's oppressed. She'll never get ahead. She'll never earn any money. She's gonna, you know, blah 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 blah. Right? Don't do that to my little girl. My little girl is an incredibly empowered little girl, and I don't need you to strip that from her. And they were they listened and they were blown away. And I again, this is. It's the, it's the same strategy I have in my school. I think it's individuals sometimes banding together, going in and just dealing with it one-on-one, -on -one, face to face, instance by instance. You know, and uh, does that make sense? And well, no, uh, that, that that makes perfect sense. And I mean, I, I get it. It's just some of the things, like I said, I, I don't want to be too pessimistic or too down. Like something like that, what you're doing, like I'm I'm happy that there are schools out there that are willing to listen to the parents. But yes, yeah, they were willing to listen. Yeah, you yeah. know. But I mean, you, you saw it with what's her, um, the, when she was running for Supreme Court, when she was uh, being looked at for Supreme Court, a Amy Coney Barrett or whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. She adopted black kids. Right. And there was that whole thing coming from the progressive side about how, you know, biracial families, there is a thing of oppression and oppressor and oppressed, and it's always going to be there, blah, 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 blah. I mean, so you, you've got the opposition to, 
interracial marriages coming from the far right and the far left now, which is whatever. I mean, that that's crazy enough. But it's it, it, again, it's the effect on the kids. Like I had a friend of mine who's his wife's Asian, you know, so he, he's white. So his kids are, you know, mixed race, whatever you want to call it. And they came home from school one day. He wrote a Medium article about it, about how his kids were telling him that they, they wish they weren't part white. Wow. And, you wow. know, that's whether it's they don't want to be part white or they don't want to be part Asian or, you know, part white, part black or whatever. Like it's, that's not a healthy way to raise kids. And it's no. like, like I said, I just, you know, I'm glad there's things that are being pushed back. I'm glad there's things that, you know, like I did, you know, mentioned free black thought. Like I'm glad there's something like free black yeah. thought. Like I've spoken to Eric and you know yeah. what they're trying to do is they're not pushing any agenda. They're saying, okay, there's a lot of different voices in the black community. It's not yeah. all just Al Sharpton and, you know, Ibram Kendi. There's, yep. there's a whole diverse way of thinking. And, you know, like, yeah. that's what I think the school should teach is, you know, Absolutely. it doesn't matter what, you know, like you can read Frederick Douglass or you can read Derek Bell, you know, there, there, there's a huge gap between the two of them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that's I mean, that's as you know, as you know, that's the whole reason we formed Free Black Thought was simply, as you pointed out, you know, not to push a particular political agenda, but merely to say uh, to push back against the hegemonic voice, which is always telling you, like, this is how black people think it's Ta-Nehisi Coates and it's Ibram Kendi and it's Nicole Hannah Jones. And that's the narrative. And that's what you're supposed to think. And that's what you're supposed to teach your kids. And yeah, we wanted to just push back and say, no, actually, there's <laughs> that's a tiny, tiny subset of, uh, well, maybe not tiny 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 but it's a it's one subset of black thought and there's many 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 other angles and perspectives and we want to foreground those and bring them to people's attention as a public service as a kind of educational service and uh yeah absolutely and so we specifically speaking of k through 12 um one of our ambitions and the only thing holding us back is all of us work full-time we have families mm -hmm. we just don't have time to do this shit what, what, what we want to do is we want to create curricular uh, sort of modules and and um, that you can that teachers in K through 12 can use to show the diversity of of uh, black thought on on various topics. So right now, if if you're a teacher in, of an eighth of eighth grade, say, and you're sort of doing your maybe African-American studies um, unit or something like that, teaching American history, perhaps, you know, what's going to be available to you to teach is going to be very one-sided. It's increasingly the sort of Nicole Hannah Jones 1619 project ver vision of American history of black life of opinions and views of black people. We wanted to create the sort of alternative spectrums, you know, everything from the conservative to the sort of more moderate. And then, and also the voices of people like Adolf Reed, who are Marxists, but who find the sort of woke stuff completely ridiculous and absurd, right? We want to actually build that up as a uh, something to be incorporated into K through 12 curricula to give a fuller sense of the richness and diversity of black thought. Yeah, that's one of our ambitions. So if there's anyone out there listening who wants to donate, like we just need to hire, <laughs> we need to hire some help and, and, uh, um, yeah, I mean, uh, get this thing off the ground, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll put all the links and everything in the bottom, but yeah, we we can speak about this, uh, like, uh, after we're done or speak about it later. But counterweight 
might be someone yeah. to reach out to because I know they were doing a lot of putting out you know, information and like little curriculum type things. And they were looking something at that as well. So that might be a good thing to look at. But like I said, we can speak about that after. Um, look, I don't want to keep you too, too much longer. And, no, no, no. You know, it's, happy, it's, to, uh, happy to keep chatting, yeah. But uh, you know, I was just going to... Go ahead. But can I mention one other thing for yeah. folks I look at is 1776 Unites. Yeah. Um, Bob Woodson's, you know, uh, yeah, Bob Woodson, Richard. Ian Rowe, I think John McWhorter might have something to do with it. I can't remember. Yeah, they're um, on the board. Yeah. Glenn Lowry's on the board. Yeah. But they, they put out a K through 12 curriculum package. You know, it's not like a full curriculum mm -hmm. that teaches you everything, but what it does is they teach you stories of uh, sort of black people in American history from, you know, the earliest times up to the, whatever 20th century who uh, excelled, who did amazing things, who made discoveries, who invented things, whatever, um, who fought against slavery and Jim Crow. Um, and so it's a kind of affirmative vision as opposed to the sort of dark, you know, negative, <laughs> pessimistic vision that you get in like the 1619 project kind of approach to things. So that's another resource. But what, yeah, but it's not about viewpoint diversity. It's just about sort of telling the other, the, the happy side of the story. Yeah. But didn't they put out, um, the book was uh, Red, White, and Black or, or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah. They had a book about that, about stories of different African Americans. And like, I mean, or I think Ian Rowe, because I saw him talking about it, he did his whole thing on the, uh, the Rosenwald schools. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. These very successful schools from, I think, what was it, like uh, early 20th century, yeah. right? Or even yeah. turn of the century yeah. uh, in D.C., if I'm not mistaken. Well, right? there was a there was, there was a few in the South. Uh, okay. I'm not sure exactly where they were. But then after after Brown versus Board of Education, they were all shut down because they were black schools, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, but look, like I said, I, I, I'm going to let you go. If you want to let people know where they can uh, get a hold of you, um, I'll put all the links to like uh, Free Black Thought and the uh, Academic Freeman Alliance and yeah. put a link yeah. to where people can get a reach of you. So let people know where they can get a hold of you. And, you know, it was great talking to you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, it was a fantastic conversation. I feel like we only just barely, uh, oh, in a sense, <laughs> scratched the surface of all these things. Um, but, uh, yeah, so definitely, I think the best one easy way to find me is to go to the freeblackthought.com uh, or .org website. I think either one will take you there. And there's an about page, and I'm on there. And uh, you can folks can also email me at my uh, college email address, which is J Mackey. That's M A C K E Y at oxy o x y dot edu. Um, I'm happy to you know correspond with folks especially if people are looking for guides to as to like how to deal with their school district or also academics who want to talk about sort of strategies that they can use on their own campus. I've actually had su success on my campus. We didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I did manage to organize my fellow faculty and we were able to push back a, a bias response team. They were going to have a bias response team where students mm -hmm. could report faculty to the response bias response team and we got that shut down that part of it shut down so faculty parents you name it anyone who wants to reach out and discuss you know how to constructively and not destructively uh push back against the sort of hyper wo uh, wokeness reach out i'm happy to talk
Oh, that's great. Well, like I said, I'll put all that in the bottom. And thank you very much again for coming on. And thanks, everyone, for listening.